Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for almost nine years, have two awesome kids, and our mission here is to create compassion for communities that are misunderstood, marginalized, and or abused by their leaders, as well as empower those who have left, like Sam and our guest today, Celeste, by giving them a platform to share their stories with the world. Yes. And thank you all so much for being here with us again and for your support through liking, subscribing, and sharing our videos. Today, we are very excited to welcome Celesta with us. Hello, Celesta. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi, you guys. Thanks for meeting with me tonight. Of course. Well, we're very excited to get into your story. And you have a very interesting story because you are from the FLDS community as well. You grew up almost neighbors with me, it sounds like. So we're excited to get into a little bit of your story and what it was like for you growing up in the FLDS community as well. And I'm really excited that you have some unique perspectives on some things that nobody else that we've talked to, like about moving back to Hilldale after having left and what it was like coming back to the community when there were still FLDS members there and things like that. So yeah. we are really excited to dig in and hear more about your story. Let's just get right into it. Some of the most common questions. Uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about, were you born and raised in the in Short Creek, as they call it? Yes. So I was born and raised in Hildale. I mean, born early 90s, you know, 1991. And yeah, I grew up here in, I moved over to the other side of town uh, right before I turned 15. So I moved, I just, my whole childhood was here in Hildale. Okay. Well, and, then we were, since Hildale was so small, we were neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just lived like literally right down the road from Warren Jeff's house, which is now the Dream Center. Oh, wow. wow. And what was your family uh, size and dynamic look like? How many mothers did you have? How many siblings? So I actually didn't have a plural mother or whatever. Uh, my dad didn't have a plural wife. Um, he had my mom and eight children. So the way that I saw polygamy was mostly through my grandfather's families. Um, and so I was raised in it, even though my dad didn't live it. I spent a ton of time uh, with my grandmother, Ada, and she was the fifth wife of his 13 that he had when I was when I hung out there. Um, and so there's Mother Norma, Mother, you know, I don't know, I don't want to list all their names, but, you know, 13 mothers and it was Mother so-and-so, Mother so-and-so, and that's how we called them. And so they weren't even grandma to us. We just caught that was the respectful thing to say in their house. Did your father, was polygamy something that he wanted or just was never given to him? Yes, he wanted it a lot because the belief is in order for a man to be exalted and go to the celestial kingdom, then he has to have three wives or more to get into the highest order of heaven. I am so happy you just said those words because <laughs> I I have had this question asked me so many times. So many people. And people keep asking me, okay, do you have to have three wives in order to return to the celestial kingdom or live with God? I didn't, I didn't ever hear that growing up out there. My dad just firmly believed it um and he so he was trying to cleanse himself um of all you know they had us do the confession letter so everyone had to write a confession letter you know to the prophet and then he was trying to become like pure and clean so that he could be worthy to have another wife 
And so that's kind of where that his story just kind of takes a downhill turn because um, he went on some in, insane cleanse and wasn't doing it right. So he was only drinking like the master cleanse juice, but he was combining it with Mountain Dew and he did not eat food for 10 days. And this triggered schizophrenia. Um, so he was paranoid schizophrenic. Wow. What did your mother think about the idea of having a plural wife? Like she would, did she feel like it was partly necessary for her salvation or was she kind of grateful that she didn't have to deal with sister wives? Probably both. Um, I'm sure that like her, her testimony of the whole thing was so strong that she would have done it if it was required of her, but she was probably secretly glad that she didn't have to, except for the fact that sis, extra sister, sister wise means extra help. Um, (laughs) and so like, we were helpful little kids, like we were little hooligans and, um, (laughs) we, so my mom had a lot of overwhelm, you know, like she's either pregnant or breastfeeding all the time. Mm. Um, and our house was a mess because she was too busy to keep up with everything while my dad went to work. You said eight siblings, right? Eight children. Or seven siblings. Okay, eight so. children, including myself. Okay. So seven siblings. And where do you fall in line with all of the children? The oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. Wow. So you have a lot of younger brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. I have one sister right below me, and then I have six little brothers all in a row. Wow. wow. Oh, my word. Wow. It's a lot of little brothers. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in a house of boys. Yeah, we have one little boy, and I cannot imagine multiplying his energy times six. <laughs> well, and I'm just thinking about me and all of my brothers around the home, and geez, that many boys—it's just—it's a good recipe for hectic craziness. Mm-hmm. Oh, my brother—he bashed a hole in the wall to my mom's cellar. The, it was so one side was finished, the other side was studs. And he got a hammer to break a hole in the wall so that we could get into my mom's otter pops that she had locked away from us. <laughs> well, hey, whatever it takes, right? You got to get those otter pops. Yeah. 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 Wow. Those are gold. Being the oldest of eight siblings, at what age did you end up having like a lot of responsibility as far as like helping with the younger siblings or? As early as I can remember. Um, I remember being being about seven or eight years old. Oh wow! And my mom and dad going overnight and leaving me and my sister to tend. Um, and so we changed diapers. We made sure they were fed. Um, me and my sister did all that stuff. If if my mom and dad weren't home, or say my mom needed to go to an appointment and my dad was at work, then we would tend. And so a lot of pressure was put on me that, you know, you're the example setter for your younger siblings. So anything you do, they'll do. So I was always held to a a higher standard of behavior. Um, I think, I mean, so to speak, I guess, because there were some areas where I was also spoiled, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm the oldest too. So I totally understand what you You identify. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Being in a a part of the religion that where polygamy was so common, but you didn't experience it in your specific home. Well, you, you saw relatives, extended family all around you. Was yeah. polygamy something that you looked forward to or hoped for as a young girl growing up? Really little, uh, like, you know, a young kid, seven, eight years old. Then I, I did think that it would be kind of fun to be in a home uh, like my grandfather, Alan, 
where, you know, that's who my grandfather, my grandma married after my biological grandfather died. I thought that would be glorious if I could live in a house like that when I was that little. But then the older I got and I started realizing that, uh, like what it could actually mean to be married or something. I was like, I don't know if I, I didn't really want to be the second wife or the third wife or the any wife. I wanted to be the first and only wife. And so I think when I was pretty young, probably about 12 or 13, I, th- I thought I would never. And I was actually at that point really creeped out that I was going to get married to an old dude with a billion wives. And <laughs> that was a fear I had. <laughs> Were you approached in any way uh, that talked to about getting married to someone specific? Was that ever brought up? No, because by the time I was old enough to be married, they had stopped doing marriages, oh. uh, luckily. Okay. Like, I feel like I was spared that because girls, you know, five years older than me were were ones that were arranged and placed. And so I, I didn't get approached by any leaders or anything about getting married because by, at that time, Warren was in prison and um, nobody was doing marriages or and then they eventually stopped having babies. Wow. And how old were you when Warren went into prison? And what was that like? Do you remember it? Do you remember what you felt during that time? Yeah. Um, so so I would have been, it was 2006. I would have been 15 when he was arrested. Wasn't he arrested in August? That sounds familiar to me. Uh, I, I don't remember was. the exact month, uh, but... Yeah, I know that it was 2006, and I was still very much involved with the church and a part of it as well. And I had my feelings, but but what were your feelings? What were your thoughts towards him being arrested? Nervous, uh, scared a little bit in the sense that um, the whole community was scared. And so it was like, oh, no, everybody's scared. I, I guess something scary is going on. Um, but and then it got old really quick for me because at that time I was 15. And so I, I'd already had like my secret wicked music stash (laughs) for a while now. Uh And I had my doubts about whether I wanted to stay there. And even if it meant I was in my mind, even if it meant I was going to go to hell and lose my salvation, but I just hadn't really thought about leaving yet because I wasn't quite old enough. So when Warren got arrested, I thought that's weird. Um, it was I was a little anxious for a while because everyone around me was so anxious. But it was surreal, sort of like I think that was the same, actually the same month that my dad died. So I, it's that whole that area is sort of blurry as to like what I actually felt in the moment. But I do remember on the Texas raid, I cried and cried and cried because. I knew how hard that must have been for those moms to have their kids ripped from their arms and they were victims too. Just, um, it was really sad to watch that, but it was what it was. And I'm glad it happened in the end. I remember the first time I saw those videos as well. And that was just heart wrenching. I mean, you saw these women that you grew up around and with and, and their children being ripped out of their hands and, and, you know, just everything that kind of happened there, whether everything was accurate that was shown on the news or not, I guess I'm, I can't say for sure, but what we saw on the news was just horrific to, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I felt like, I mean, now knowing what we know now, they probably could have handled it a lot better, mm-hmm. but I didn't like, I, I do, from what I understood, they didn't really know what they were 
driving into. Yeah. So yeah. they came like heavily prepared. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe your childhood overall before we get into what it was like as a teenager and before you had doubt? Yeah. What did you feel like mm -hmm. it was like growing in growing up in Hilldale in a small community and in that religion? So my early childhood was actually really fun um, because church was just kind of a over my head thing when I was little, you know, like for most kids, I'm sure. Um, and so I remember as five to seven, you know, even up until actually till I was 10, um, I remember picnics, barbecues, camping trips. That was norm in my my dad's immediate family and his brothers. They would get together and do things together, make sure the cousins knew each other. And so all the cousins on my dad's side that were my age that lived in, the t in town, I knew really well. We did a lot more like watch Disney movies. Um, that wasn't bad yet until I was probably nine or so. Yeah. <laughs> I remember so those. I remember watching the uh, approved only though, you know, no, no Aladdin because she's rebellious to her father. <laughs> so what movies, <laughs> what Disney movies did I'm you watch? I'm curious if they're the same as the ones I watched. So Fox and the Hound, that was one. Um, we got to watch Winnie the Pooh. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there was did you watch Sleeping Beauty. Oh, okay. oh, that, my, oh, that my was... parents let us watch Sleeping Beauty, yeah, and I actually, I'd imagine um, Maleficent in her green ball coming up the stairs, chasing in my house, <laughs> chasing me up the staircase at night. And so I would book it up my staircase as a kid to my room if I had to go like get some of the laundry room or something. <laughs> That's too wow. funny. Was Bambi approved? Did you watch Bambi? Yes. Okay. Bambi was approved. That was one of our very favorites. Yeah, okay. Probably, so, I'm just curious if a lot of what was approved around the community was the same. And it sounds like it kind of was based on what I've sort heard. Sort of. Yeah. You know, the Little Mermaid was a no-go because of her dress, you know, mm -hmm. the way she was dressed. Oh, yeah. Just a clamshell bra. So <laughs> like no-go. No-go. Yeah. Growing up, you're having a normal childhood or... Obviously, you didn't know any different. Had one mother. Yeah, normal to me. Normal to I was you. pretty happy, you know. Yeah. Uh, At what age did you realize that the way that your families lived might be different than the outside world or other people? And did that have an impact on how you felt about your community? So, yeah, I did notice. Right. Like, as I think as young as I was old enough to notice, like, oh, you know, other people around me because we would take Walmart trips and doctor's office visits and such. Um, and so a lot of the cartoons that I wasn't allowed to watch that I saw little pieces of were like in doctor's offices yeah. and stuff like that. So around the time that we got told to get rid of hearts, I was pretty pissed because I loved hearts. Okay. I'm like nine at this time. Like the and shape. I had a heart. Yes. The shape of a heart. I had a heart shaped jewelry box. And I had all these little heart trinkets and I had a heart shaped nightgown, like nightgown with little pink hearts all over it. And they had this big conniption over the shape of a heart. What? And it was a misconception of something that Fred Jessup told the people that his family wasn't allowed to have hearts because of X, Y, Z. And then the whole town took it literal and said, everyone has to get rid of hearts. Wow. Um, See, that is the first time I've ever heard of that. So <laughs> interesting. Is it just because yeah. you didn't have hearts all over your yeah, I, I, nightgown, I mean, honey? He was probably a boy outside. 
hanging Maybe out. Maybe that's why I didn't hear about eating it. Eating the animals. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling in the dirt, throwing dirt, eating the dirt, yeah. all that stuff is what I was doing. Yeah. So oh, arts impacted me big because I was a girl and I loved all that crafty, cute, yeah. you know, anything girly. Mm. I was like a princess and a tomboy at the same time because, yeah, I would go to the dairy and jump off the hay bales on the rope swing, but only if I was oh, pushed. <laughs> It was because of you that I had to wait in line to go off that rope to swing then, huh? Yeah. I did the, yeah, I I did mean, the same you were thing. waiting for someone to get pushed, yeah. <laughs> it's probably me. So how old were you when they made the rule about the hearts? Um, nine. I was nine. And then me and my sister, we used to sit there and daydream. And I think it was around the same age, you know. Um, we'd sit there and daydream that we wish we could be kidnapped by nice Gentiles so that we could wear ponytails and pants wow. and have brat stalls. Interesting. Oh, these were our conversations. Like At age nine. I wish there were some nice kidnapper Gentiles <laughs> that would come and get us so that we can wear normal clothes. Well, we didn't call them normal. Yeah. We call them Gentile clothes. Uh -huh. so we wear Gentile clothes. Yeah. And the fact that nice kidnapper, <laughs> nice kidnapper was in the same I know, sentence. Crazy. That is... Like we had no idea what we were talking about. Oh my word. Wow. Interesting. So you had to get rid of hearts at age nine. And that's kind of at the moment you realized, I don't like some of these rules. I don't like the way this is. Yeah, we were like, wow, this is stupid. Why can't we have hearts? And we, it didn't make sense to us. Hmm. And I really am glad for the exposure I had to, you know, um, TV when I was a kid, honestly, because it, it's a work perspective, but it's a different perspective than what we were raised in. And so it kind of gave me these ideas like, Maybe there's something better out there at a pretty young age, mm -hmm. but I didn't even know how to form it into that. I just, you know, we'd come up with these silly stories of we would, we wish we would get kidnapped by nice Gentiles or wow. something. Or nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, hopefully somebody nice. Right. <laughs> but at, at, a, at such a young age to have those thoughts, that is, that just goes to show that, that there was things, there were things going on that weren't okay. It sounds like. I mean, every family was different, but I was 18 years old when I first started having my thoughts that, you know, maybe outside of this life is better than what I have inside this FLDS life. And 18 is, yeah. the, is the same year that I also left. So the fact that you had these thoughts at age nine and you stayed in it for so many years after that, obviously you would have to at such a young age, you can't just leave. But mm -hmm. But that's just, uh, that would be a whole different life in my mind because I was just, I thought everything was perfect. I thought I was so lucky to be a part of this religion, the whole, my whole growing up childhood. Yeah, that I have friends like that and it really just shattered them when they found the truth out. Like uh, one of my girlfriends, um, that's how it was for her. She really was just like depressed and she really thought she truly within her heart thought that she was doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. um, and that's what's so sad about the way that they manipulated people is that these people are still affected now mm -hmm. by what they were taught and what they believed. Yeah. yeah. What were some other rules as you started getting older? Were there any other rules that were like super hard for you to follow or super easy that just made sense to you? Like what were the different rules? The older I got, the less, most of the rules actually made sense. Um, <laughs> mostly because I was kind of a little rebel. I, so I'll just start with kind of like how I became so, so ready to leave. By the time I left, I was glad I left. I was like, um, okay, well, you've caught us fornicating. You're going to make us leave good. Cause I wanted to anyway. And 
But before that, my dad was sent away in 2004. He was in the second group of men, I believe, if I'm right, that was sent out away. Mm. So 2004, January. And I have actually a podcast episode of that whole memory of watching him walk away. You know, um, he left the car for my mom. He packed his suitcase and he just told us, I have to go on a mission of repentance. And he asked me if I knew who the prophet was. He says, I'm, I'm 12 at this time. He says, do you know who the prophet is? And there had been some rumor that it was Lewis Barlow or somebody after Roland Jeffs died. And, mm. and I says, it's not Lewis Barlow. It's not so-and-so. It's Warren Jeffs. And he says, okay, good. I'm glad that you have a strong testimony of the prophet. And, you know, when my dad was still here, my testimony of everything was a lot more stronger because I think because I felt so safe with my dad and I felt that he, you know, because I felt he really was a good man and because he, he was a good man. Like he definitely was not aware of everything that was going on at all. He was like so many other dads that were just oblivious to it. So he left and I cried all my tears for my dad then. I mean, I was so scared. I, was, I mean, all I'm imagining is him out there with his thin little jacket walking around. It snowed during the night. It was January. Um, I didn't know if he got picked up. I didn't know if he was safe, if he had a place to be or if he was homeless. Um, so that really, really freaked me out. And so my mom actually had to like pull me out of the closet and like I was hiding in the top of my closet crying and she had to pull me down and tell me, come on, let's go. You know, and we just stayed at her friend's house for weeks because she couldn't stand being at home. She really did love my dad. And so when he asked her if she would take the pictures of him down, she was like, no, she at first told him, no, I think that did come later on. But at first she was like, no, I won't. And it just made her cry harder because he was packing his suitcase on his way out. And after he left and we were spending those weeks with her friend, everything during that time, I really don't remember hardly a thing. There's like little glimpses of vague memories that I have during that time, but just a lot of not being home. Listen, hearing my mom cry became so normal for us, which is really sad. I mean, but we were so used to her crying that we were numb to it. Did they tell you how long how long he was supposed to be repenting for? Was there any idea or hope of like, oh, it's only supposed to be for a couple months or? No, it was just, you need to go repent from afar. Years later, I actually did find out that he had confessed to seeing demons, um, or not demons. He was confessed to seeing angels. Warren called them demons. Oh. So because he confessed to seeing angels, which was the reason why is because he was schizophrenic and he had hallucinations um, where he really thought he had conversations with people that he didn't have. So when he confessed that, they're like, no, you're seeing demons. You need to get it right with God and go repent from afar. Oh my gosh. And, and so that was the reason they booted him. You know, as I've grown old, older and I've realized that Roland Jeffs and Lyle Jeffs were both on antidepressants the level of hypocrisy i have to just cut yeah. it off right there so mad, but. and really quick i'm sorry uh, just to go back a little bit i think that our viewers need to understand a little bit more about what you said when your dad asked your mom to take the pictures down of him and why that was even a thing because i've i've heard a lot of stories about how it 
happened when someone was kicked out of the community. Can you explain what you mean by take pictures down and why? Yes. So any family pictures on the walls, any memory of him that was around the house to get rid of it because um, that would make you miss them. And a lot of families did that. They would remove the pictures of their fathers once their fathers left because they were either told to um, or for, by the father or the leaders. One of the hardest things was that my, my mom had friends who thought that it was a good thing for them to do to help my mom burn all the pictures of my dad. And so they took from my grandmother being pregnant with him all the way up to the most recent photos my mom had and burned every single photo of him that they could. And this was because in their eyes, he was evil because Warren Jeff said so. Warren Jeff says you're evil. Therefore, you you don't even need to be a memory in our family anymore. Isn't that like just, just the idea and how far they took this is but, what I wanted to point out. But wasn't there supposed to be hope that he could come back? So why would they want to burn something or did they burn that like at a point where they didn't think? They just played, they played on like maybe, you know, just giving you that little sliver of hope that maybe you would be able to come back. And when I get to the point where I leave, I'll tell you that how that was for my, me personally, but like for my dad, then they just said that, I mean, I don't know that they gave him a time frame. They didn't give our family, my mother, a time frame whatsoever, or my grandmother, his mom. And so basically we just didn't know. It was like a mystery. So that's what made it even harder for me. I think that's why like I cried so hard the first few weeks he was gone because that was like, I think for, especially for little kids, you know, like the suspense of not knowing mm -hmm. is so hard and it affected me um, pretty rough. But, but that, by the time I heard he passed, it was like, I couldn't cry anymore. It was weird. At that time in the community, were was Warren Jeffs assigning women to new men right away? Like, did you have a fear that your mother was going to be reassigned to another man and that you'd have to be in another family? Yes. And so when my dad left, I think there was still some hush hush marriages, probably some of the worst underage ones around that time, like where, where he actually did take a couple 12 and 14 year old girls and went and married them off to people in secret. Warren Jeffs did that, right? Yes, Warren Jeffs. And I didn't want to get a new dad because I loved my dad. I was like, I don't want a new dad. And I mean, okay, so this is coming from my little child brain. Like, I just thought most of the dads in the creek were ugly. And I was just really glad that I had a handsome dad. <laughs> and I didn't want another dad. <laughs> yeah. This was my little sass girl attitude <laughs> about it. And so... I really didn't want my mom to get remarried and she never did, which I'm still glad to this day that she never did that I'm at least that I'm aware of right now. So we got reassigned to my grandfather actually. So he was our caretaker. I actually have two by, I have two step grandparents that were a big part of my childhood on either side. So my maternal grand, my maternal step grandfather, which is my grandmother married him because my biological grandfather died of lung cancer. So he, had, he left two wives behind with all their children. And so my biological grandmother married his half-brother to be taken care of okay. by him. And it was more of a, 
it wasn't anything like, you know, like intimate relationship. It was more of a, I need to take care of my brother's wife type of relationship mm -hmm. from, from what I understood. So they didn't have any children together? No, never had any children together. She had all her children with my biological grandfather on my mother's side. That's a mouthful. <laughs> and then my grandfather, that was my step-grandfather on my dad's side, was the guy that my grandmother remarried um, after they actually found out that um, my grandfather was a pedophile. I mean, and I might get bashed from my family for saying this, but I really don't give a crap because it's true. Wow. He got his family taken away because one of his daughters, um, on advice of her therapist after she had left, she's she's passed on now, so I don't think it's a big deal to tell this story, but uh, she had given a letter of forgiveness to him, saying, I forgive you for what you did for me so that she could move on. And when that letter was given to him to read, I guess there were old, you know, his older children that were taking care of him at the time because he was sort of on his deathbed. They read it. And so he was stripped of his family and they basically told him that you're you're not going to have your children or your wives and kids in the afterlife. They won't be yours. They'll be placed by another man wow. because you did these things. And to me, that's a lot more justified reason to rip a family from a man than because they have schizophrenia. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know. Was there any repercussion with the law? No, he died. I don't think that they found out till the end of his life. And so that's where, like, you know, I can't really blame any of my family for the way they were because they didn't know they were brainwashed too. And when he, he had wives that would leave, he would tell the rest of his family that, oh, those guys are deciding to, you know, apostatize and that they were taking their children to therapists to get brainwashed. Um, and so, cause that was the thing out here is that you don't take anybody to see a therapist because therapists brainwash you. That was what was ingrained into all of us. So we were like, therapists are bad thing, bad, bad, bad. Yeah. Um, oh, so he had had multiple wives leave the community with their children because of his abuse? Mm -hmm. Two of them. Oh my word. That takes um, a lot. Wow. Yeah, I, I give him props. I mean, one of them was Rulin Jeff's daughter and really? she left. She That was the one that took her children to therapy and got them help. Wow. And she was alienated by the other wives who were didn't know the truth um, or whatever. I don't know. But she was alienated by my grandfather and, you know, told they told all the other kids she's a wicked woman because she took the other children to get brainwashed. Of course. Therapy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I agree. Therapy wasn't anything that was taught or mentioned as an mm -hmm. option for me either or any of one in my family. Yeah, it was not encouraged. It was strongly discouraged, probably because they knew that if people started going to see therapists, that they would start having realizations. Mm. And I think that they knew that way before people may have thought they did. I don't know. Yeah, That's just my opinion. I, I try really hard to not be too disrespectful because it's, I don't know, I've spent all my energy being sacrilegious and all that against and against it just because of my pain that I'm just kind of like, well, there was actually, I'm to the point now where I can actually kind of start to see like, okay, there was good in this, not so much here. And yeah. that's a hard process. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to unpack. Yes. And that's, I mean, it's good, though, that you're you're looking at it yeah. as, hey, you know what? I'll take the good for the good and 
but there definitely was this bad that needs to be also discussed. So going back to your father had been kicked out, your family is super nervous about whether or not your mother's going to be reassigned and you're 12 and you were saying that's kind of the beginning of the end for you and your feelings towards the church. How long did it take before you started losing hope that your father was going to come back or when your distaste for the church kind of started and shifted into this isn't what I want? I was, let's see, I was 12 when he was sent away. Um, and then by the time I was 13, I was, I was had it already in my head that as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to become an apostate. And that was the way I thought that was my inner dialogue to mm -hmm. myself because I knew my dad wasn't a bad person and I knew that they had wronged him in my mind. They had wronged him and they did, you know, but my mom was just, you know, she's very firm in her faith and wouldn't leave with him. At that point, had you been able to have any contact with your father at all? So um, after he was sent out, we got to see him a few times um, and we got to do a few phone calls. So a handful of phone calls and a handful of visits all in a two-year span. And so I remember, so the first time that we got to call him after we were so excited, you know, like you could hear his voice cracking because he was so excited to hear his kids. And that was one thing about my dad was he was all about his children. Um, he lived for his kids. They brought him out of his shell because he's pretty introverted. They, they gave him confidence and like a, a purpose, you know, and my mom too, my mom helped bring him out of his shell a ton. Because that's what everyone that knew them as a couple told me was that, that my mom really brought out the best in him and brought him out of his shell and stuff. And so he was all about the family. What was it like getting to talk to him and having those conversations? And did that make you want to leave more? Yeah, I, I talked to him the first time and we're all taking turns. Us siblings are just like in a little group huddled over the landline. And talking to him on speaker because my grandmother, my grandmother Judy had to be in the room to make sure that we didn't plan out meets with mm -hmm. him. Um, so they wouldn't let us have a call that was unlistened to. So I wrote my, his number down on my hand. And after the call, then I had a couple people uh, from my grandfather's family come out and say, you need to come inside, you know, father wants to see you, which was my grandfather. And they made Grandma Judy, my grandmother Judy had told him. And so they made me go in the bathroom and wash the number mm. off. And they watched me scrub it off. And so I wasn't able to save it. But at that time, I was 14, I think. Man, I can't imagine how difficult it would be for you and, and for him, you know, just to... It was, yeah. And I like, it. it is kind of heavy. So yeah, I mean, trigger warning for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he, we saw him... At Fiesta Fun, my grandfather did let us go and have a day where we went to Fiesta Fun with him and he took us on the go-karts and everything. And we got to go see his little apartment where he lived in St. George. He lived right up there. Is it Sunset that's on the mountain side? Sunset Boulevard that goes along the mountain? Yeah, or Bluff, Bluff Street. Street. He lived on that road in, a, in an apartment right by a mechanic shop. And so he showed us his little apartment and he told us how much he hated St. George. <laughs> Um, he hated St. George of all the places in the United States. Um, he didn't like being there after he got kicked out. And I, I, to me, that was, to me, that just meant that, you know, he could, he was so close to his kids. 
Mm. You know, that he couldn't just come out there and see them. He wasn't allowed to drive the 50 miles to go be with his kids or anything. Mm -hmm. And then after he was booted, I mean, I'll get into that a little bit later, actually. But so we got to visit him four times. The last time was actually like, this is something that I've had to forgive myself for because it was like, um, I was just a teenager. I was naive. And anyway, so the last visit that we had with him, my sister and I chose not to go, um, partially because we were being made fun of by other kids around us Mm -hmm. that were saying that your dad's creepy, your dad's this, your dad's that. Mm -hmm. And like, why would you go see him and stuff like that? And so we chose not to go. Um, and that was the last time that my brothers got to see him before he passed. I think it was actually just a month and a half or two later Mm. that he passed. But one of my last, my very last visit seeing his face was like at the little Arby's right there. When you go to turn towards uh, Cedar city and Salt Lake, or you turn to go to St. George and Vegas, there was a little Arby's right there. Mm -hmm. And so we met there and that was the last time I saw him. And he said, I haven't forgot your pony. I I still want to get you a pony. I'm saving up. And Mm. so I was all excited and, he bought my sister a sewing machine for her birthday <laughs> just because that was something he wanted us to do i think neither my sister or myself so <laughs> i mean we weren't really big lovers of sewing uh-huh. but anyway he said i haven't forgot your pony and that was the last time i got to see him and he did write us letters before his death i think his suicide was planned for a while and and he tried to seek help before he they knew that he did call a suicide hotline a couple times when he was trucking saying hey i'm having these thoughts and these desires or whatever and he did try to get help and he did get help for a while he did get like diagnosed properly he got on some medication he got to see a therapist so that he had some support and he was doing really well for quite a long time. So when he actually did pass, then I think it was a shock to a lot of people that knew him. But to me, I mean, now looking back on it, of course, it wasn't a shock. Um, You can't really combine psychological abuse and mental health and trauma together and expect to get anything good out of it. How old were you when he passed? Um, I was 14. It was right a month a month and a half before I, or a month and three weeks before I turned 15. Man. So he wow. was only out the two years and he couldn't take it. And he was questioning things from what my uncles say. Uh, my uncles, I've talked to them a little bit about him. And they said that he was actually starting to question saying that, you know, you guys, I, this isn't what we were raised with. I don't, that I can't make sense of it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what to think about it. And that was where he was at. Man, that, yeah, that's yikes. I mean, I don't even know how to begin to ask about an experience, (laughs) an experience like that, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I do pretty well with questions about it. You don't have to feel bad, like about triggering me, but just because, um, like I said, it was surreal to me for so, so many years that I've actually learned how to deal with it in a, and not not as emotional way. I'm actually way more emotional about other things. Mm. <laughs> That's probably why I am. <laughs> yeah. But with him being on the outside when that happened, how were you informed about it? And 
like who planned the funeral? What were those type of things where he had been cast out from the community? Did he get to be a part of the community afterwards or? For his death, no. That was the thing. Um, so when they told us, so this experience was super vivid for me because it was a random day. I was living at my grandfather's house, you know, a big plug style house. And they call everybody, go down to the living room. Father has an announcement. And and I just say father, meaning my grandfather, okay. because he was father to us. I'll tell you that in a sec, but real quick here, I'll, I won't digress so that we don't get lost. But we go down into the living room because he said he had an announcement to make. And I was actually, you know, just I had just got ready for the day. So I was still in the bathroom, just finishing up my, you know, I I think I was like, actually not, I was actually getting cleaned up from some project like gardening or something, I, I think. And so I go up to the bathroom and they say, okay, come down. Father wants to talk to us. He has an announcement. And it was kind of just a little off. It felt a little off to me. And so I thought I'm sitting there thinking to myself, oh, great. Now they're just going to tell me my dad died. And I'm just about it. And so I go down there and then they actually were like, yeah, so David Draper passed away and they basically, I can't remember if they said how, um, I remember my mom just bursting into tears and I was stone cold, like not cold hearted, but just like no tears could come. I, I couldn't cry because I was like, no way. That's not, how could that be true? So I'm sitting there thinking like, this is just a lie. I'm going to find out it was bullshit. He's going to show up. And that's kind of the mentality I had for quite a few years after. So then they, for his funeral, then my mom did ask Lyle Jeffs, can we go to his funeral? And he said, don't worry about it. You don't belong to him. Oh my goodness. So you were not allowed to go or participate in any of the funeral services? Nope. We weren't allowed to go to the burial, the funeral, nothing. And so my uncles handled it. They were, a couple of them were still in and a couple of them had been asked out. They were kicked out, but they were trying to respect what my father would have wanted. And they still respected the leaders because they were hoping to get asked back. And so they would, they asked the leaders of the church if he could be buried in town and they just got ignored. And that is because of the way he died. Um, that's how they treat suicide. If they knew it was suicide or, you know, if suicide was public knowledge, then you didn't get to get buried there if you were kicked out when it happened. And I think there actually have been a few other guys that that happened to as far as like suicide and not being able to be buried back in the community at the local graveyard. And my dad would have been honored to be buried back in the creek when he was alive with my uncles. Um, they actually tried to honor him as best as they could, the best they knew that how he was. And so they were really sweet about my, I actually got a recording of it. They were really sweet about the reason that my mom and us kids weren't there. And they said that my mom and us kids were honoring my father's wishes. And that's why we weren't able to attend because he would have told us to do what we were told. He was brainwashed too. And so my uncles were super sweet about it in that regard, but they, the funeral, I was, I'm really glad I got to listen to it, but still, I mean, that's just like, how could you rob someone closure like that? That's where my anger towards Lyle Jeffs is so much more intense 
for myself personally. I'm just like, when I, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the funeral happened and we didn't hear anything of it. We just knew he was buried in St. George. We didn't get taken to see his grave for, I think, a couple of years. So you have been able to find it and go see his grave mm -hmm. now then? Okay. Yeah, he's buried in St. George. I have discussed with some of my family members, not all my family members agree with this, and so it's kind of up in the air, but some of my family members would love to exhume him and bring him home bury him by his brother Roy, who just passed a couple of years ago, you know, um, but there's also a lot of uh, my, not all of, but some of my family who feels like that he should just stay where he was buried because of the nature of everything, you know, but I do go visit his grave from time to time. And that's up in the air if that will ever happen. But either way, then every time I go down to visit his grave, then I go, I get a blue rose. I spray paint a rose blue of the florist and I go put it on his on his his grave and that's kind of like actually was mine and my sister's ritual so my I took I actually did take my little brothers one by one as they left to go see it so I think all my siblings now except for my one sibling that's still in my one brother that's still in has been to his grave. So at this point, mm. seven of the eight of you have left. Has your mother left? No, my mother's still in and my one brother. Okay. So they actually, she just recently within the past year uh, told me that she wouldn't, that she was saying goodbye forever and that she wouldn't be answering any of my texts or calls if I tried to call her or text her. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And that type of thing seems to be happening a lot ever since, it seems like yeah. ever since Helaman Jeffs has been more involved. There's been a lot of people that have been cutting ties with us apostates, I guess you could say. For, for, yeah. those, for those that had any ties, a lot of us haven't had a chance to really be with or be with uh, a lot of our siblings and parents for a long time. So difficult times for sure. I hope my mom sees the lie. I do think that my younger brother is not going to stay there forever, but he's still in at this point. And I do believe that it's just because he's worried about who's going to take care of my mom. Mm. That makes sense. I can, I can understand that. Yeah. He's in his twenties now. So he, he would, he has, and he has a really deep sense of responsibility for her, um, especially being that he's the only child there now. Mm. So I bet you that he's just kind of held back. That's just my opinion but he probably feels kind of held back yeah. from leaving because he doesn't want to leave her by herself. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So after your dad passed away, you life continued on as it was before, or was that when you really wanted to start leaving or what, what, what happened? After um, so it sort of continued on and I started to really just think of how I was going to 